Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 280 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and normally I'd be joined by my co-host Victor Rodriguez, but he is off slaying the dragon today. So I have not one, but two very special guests today. A little later on, we will be sumo stomping with Tim Bissell. But first, I am going to be talking to Fightful Wrestling Sean Ross Sapp. And he will be joining me to talk Vince McMahon, WWE, the entire pro wrestling landscape. Sean, thank you for so much for joining me. How the heck are you? I'm doing good, all things considered. How are you? I am doing fantastic. We have a lot to talk about. There is so much going on in pro wrestling right now. And I guess first we'll go ahead and just kick the bucket here with Janelle Grant's big lawsuit against a lot of people are saying it's against Vince McMahon, but it is not. It is against the WWE as a whole. Am I correct, sir? Well, it's against Vince McMahon, John Laurinaitis and WWE. All three uh, collectively have been uh, our defendants in this lawsuit. All right. Tell me who is Johnny Ace, AKA John Laurinaitis. So he was a former wrestler. For, for casual fans, they might know him as the brother of Road Warrior Animal, of the Legion of Doom Road Warrior team. Uh, he never reached that type of success within the United States. He was a successful wrestler uh, in Japan, uh, very successful. He then moved into a, an administrative role in WCW and then came over to WWE, uh, after I believe after the acquisition, served in a talent relations role for quite some time, and then actually became an on-screen authority figure for WWE. Later on, uh, he would get a little bit of crossover attention because he would appear on the Total Bellas show because uh, he is the uh, stepfather of uh, the Bella Twins and uh, the father-in-law now, stepfather-in-law of Brian Danielson. Wow. And... He uh, is someone that is claiming that he's a victim to Vince McMahon. Could you give us that little scenario as well? Sorry, what was that? I, I saw that John Laurinaitis, his lawyer, and he are claiming mm -hmm. that he's a victim to Vince McMahon? Yeah, based on uh, all of the, the information readily available, it seems like I can tell you that the phrase that was used to me among talent and people that were familiar said it was a rat jumping off the sinking ship. And uh, he was he was effectively the fall guy two years ago when there were a lot of Vince McMahon allegations emerging and investigations going on. Vince sort of tried to preserve himself. Johnny was out almost immediately. 
And he's always seen or appeared as like a right-hand man for Vince McMahon or even a crony, what some people would call him. Uh, he's always been a Vince McMahon guy. But uh, as of a couple of years or, yeah, a couple of years ago now, he was taking the fall for Vince in a lot of ways. And uh, now it seems like he's just going to try to protect himself because there are federal implications here. Talk about Janelle Grant's role in the company a little bit. What exactly was Janelle Grant's role? Well, she didn't have much of one. Uh, the, the lawsuit, which is, is very extensive, and it, it should probably come with a trigger warning for those that are, are that are sensitive to those types of things. But uh, the lawsuit cites that she actually lived in the same building as Vince McMahon, met Vince McMahon, and then he offered her work. And it was cited numerous times that she was likely unqualified for that role. And it became evident why she was given that position because Vince McMahon uh, had cited to her that she was even vulnerable and and that he took pity on her in some sort of way. But uh, she had been, I believe, a paralegal prior and was was put sort of in that department. But everybody that I spoke to wasn't quite sure exactly what it is that she did there. Ronda Rousey came out and said that Bruce Pritchard was Vince McMahon's avatar and that if he was still there, then by extension, so was Vince. Could you break that down for us? Sure. Uh, Bruce Pritchard has long been involved with the creative aspects of pro wrestling. He was actually an on-screen character for a while, too. Uh, he and WWE had a bit of a falling out. I want to say about 15 years ago, he spent some time elsewhere. But actually, in light of him having a very, very successful podcast, like one of the most successful podcasts in the world, WWE brought him back a few years ago, and he worked hand-in-hand hand with, with Vince. However, in 2022, when Vince was effectively pressured into retiring, uh, many suspected that Bruce Pritchard was his avatar, his way to send his ideas in. Now, this became really apparent uh, after, I think, I would say December 2022, January 2023, when Vince sort of forced himself back into the company, and he wasn't interacting directly with creative teams. So nobody within the creative aspect or wrestlers that I spoke to directly interacted with Vince, but it became evident that his influence was being felt on these shows with who wasn't on the show, who was on the show, the elements of some stories. And it was long suspected that Bruce Pritchard was the one that was pushing those ideas from Vince McMahon. Now, that is hardly confirmed. It, it was just a suspicion within the company. That is certainly Rhonda's suspicion. I can tell you now that at least within the creative elements of WWE, that is no longer a concern. Uh, nobody in WWE has any concern that Vince McMahon has any say creatively in the company anymore. And uh, they honestly haven't for, for quite a few months since Ari Emanuel uh, made it clear that he wanted Triple H to head up that end of things. You mentioned that uh, Vince was forced out and then forced his way back. Tell us about him being forced out first and then bring us up to speed as to how he came back. So Vince McMahon still had an incredible amount of power. He, he was the majority owner of WWE in 2022. And uh, he was pressured out because there were internal investigations into his conduct uh, at that point anyway, by uh, man or that were put forth by the board. 
May I ask what spurred them to do these internal investigations? uh, Definitely claims that were made within the company. There was a story that broke from Wall Street Journal a couple of years ago that many within the company thought was leaked by a member of the board. It's never been proven, but it is long, long been suspected that there were people within WWE angling to get Vince McMahon out of WWE as of a couple of years ago, and rightfully so based on the information that we have now. But uh, this is something that had been rumored for quite some time. And then he retired in July, I think it was July of 2022. But it was after this very, very unusual sort of tour of him looking like he, he thought he was bulletproof. He put himself on TV after some of the, the, the stories emerged. And then once December hit, he had sent a letter to the board and he said, uh, I would like to come back. The board unanimously voted against it. He used his power to replace members of the board to get a vote in which would allow him to come back. And he said it was because he wanted to help facilitate a sale or new media rights deals. And eventually that led to the TKO merger. Uh, The TKO merger resulted in him not having that majority power and being having his role diminished. And for the first time in the history, or at least the last 40 years of uh, WWE, someone was able to say, no, you, you can't put your fingers in every element of this company as you had before. So it was, it was like real life succession playing out uh, over and over again over the last really two years now. Stephanie McMahon was running things for a while and then she abruptly stepped away. Can you break all of that part down for us? Stephanie McMahon was on the board and um, she, she was aware of the investigations in 2022. When Vince left, she was put in a position of power. Now, she did appear on television and, and introduced Vince McMahon and, and all that. So for anybody saying, well, it's very clear that she had only left to, to distance herself from Vince. That didn't at least appear to be the case on screen. Now, keep in mind, before all this, she had actually left the company to focus what they said was on her family prior. But the moment Vince was out, Stephanie was in. And then shortly after Vince forced his way back into the company, Stephanie left and uh, has not been around much. I know she's been backstage at one or two shows in the last maybe 12, 13 months. But the timing of it is interesting that uh, she leaves around the time that a lot of these allegations would come out internally to where the board would investigate. She returns when Vince leaves and then leaves whenever he comes back. It it definitely seems like an evasive maneuver where Stephanie, on the surface, at least towards the end, did not want to be associated in a public manner with him or, or with whatever it is he was doing. Let's get to Triple H, a.k.a. Paul Levesque, because a lot of people, there's this online argument going on over, did he know, didn't he know, blah, blah, blah. In my personal opinion, Occam's Razor says he knew. Tell us, Sean, did he know? As of now, it's hard to tell. I mean, it's if the evidence within this lawsuit is true, it would be hard to believe that he didn't because 
if the if the text messages that are cited in the lawsuit are accurate, Vince was at least claiming that he was telling up to dozens of people at a time about it, including lower level production employees, camera crews, uh, referees, and the like. So it's hard for me to believe that if if those messages are true, and it would be very easy for 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 anybody to determine if they are true, that that won't be a thing that that necessarily can be faked in, in, in a case like this. So they'll determine if those are real or not. If all those people knew, it's hard for me to believe that he didn't. Uh, as of now, he's not directly cited, named, or necessarily alluded to in the lawsuit. Uh, there are some unnamed executives. However, he there, there's not anything that directly points to him as blatantly as there is like a Brock Lesnar for uh, where he wasn't named, but it was directly alluded to. Let's talk about the Netflix deal because this news came literally within 48 hours of the Netflix announcement. Yeah. And it's, it's a major deal for WWE. I mean, they, they have hit all their media rights deals. They are on uh, basic TV with NXT starting next year. They are on cable with SmackDown and now they are on streaming with Netflix. So it was, it was a big deal. Um, and it was something that they made a big deal out of. They had The Rock there to an, uh, the same day they announced The Rock was going to be on the board of TKO, which is you know overseas UFC and WWE. They were all at the New York Stock Exchange to announce this, as well as the Netflix deal. Vincent Mann was right there with them. There's no way they didn't all know about that as Vince was there at the New York Stock Exchange. So that was particularly confusing. Netflix and Bill Simmons had already been working on, I believe it's a six-part series on Vince McMahon anyway, and Vince McMahon's involvement or say over that uh, became diminished over the last few years because we got word that they were working on this years ago, and as it turns out, they, they picked a pretty interesting time, but I don't foresee the Netflix deal being canceled or or adjusted based on this. I think that Probably Netflix and TKO will, will use the ideology of, well, Vince is gone. Johnny's been gone. Everything's A-OK here as far as that deal goes. But then you have uh, another thing happening within TKO, though, with the UFC antitrust suit. Sure. So with UFC getting ready to, well, they're actually currently in in negotiations with ESPN, but their deal with ESPN is up this year. And with TKO cutting the deal for WWE on Netflix, it stands to reason that maybe Netflix might be a target in in these fresh negotiations too. Do you think that they're willing to take another chance like that? Do you mean Netflix? Yeah, but maybe offering UFC a deal, even though all of this stuff on the WWE side is happening. The UFC has an antitrust suit hanging over them. Ari Emanuel is looking to take some fire in this WWE thing. Do you think that there's a possibility that the UFC can work out a similar deal? Based on the amount of debt that Netflix has, I, I don't put them put anything past any risk they're willing to take uh, th- based on what we have seen. Uh-huh. However, I think that, that TKO wants to be able to say, okay, we've got our 
hands in television, in cable, in streaming. They sort of have a foothold in all of those for WWE. UFC has long been like that too. You know, they're on cable TV. They like to run, or they, they used to like to run on Fox, obviously. But I think ultimately it'll be wherever the dollars go, especially with, with the, the direction of UFC right now. I mean, they've done paywall behind a paywall even. They're open to anything. Whatever gets them the highest dollar amount, I think is ultimately it for them. I don't think the UFC has any qualms with changing platforms or TKO rather uh, as they believe that their audience will follow them wherever they go. And and we saw that with the ESPN plus thing from traditional pay-per-view over to ESPN plus uh, that did occur. Um, With this whole Vince McMahon thing, I'm noticing that the fans seem to have already moved on from it. Is that possible already? I'm sure WWE would like fans to have moved on past it. Uh, I mean, the the way that I explained it to people as we covered the situation around The Rock, Cody Rhodes, and Roman Reigns was, yes, there is something else that has casual interest as well, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop covering it. That doesn't mean we're going to stop asking. I know I'm personally working with multiple mainstream outlets right now because negotiating the pro wrestling landscape isn't something that they're necessarily adjusted to. It's, it's a lot different than anything else that they, they usually cover. They got to find out who has credibility, who's worth talking to, who might have an ax to grind that might embellish, or maybe somebody that's been silenced. And that's something that's information that they're, they're working to accrue and I'm, I'm helping out with it. But just because that we, we talk about something else on a Friday doesn't mean Saturday, we've forgotten about it. I know there's there's an old adage, uh, today it's in the news, tomorrow they're wrapping dead fish with it. That is not going to be the case with this situation. It is going to remain heavily covered. It, I mean... No, I don't mean coverage. I mean the fan. The fan oh, the, the, base. Yeah. The fan base there, there's, seems... There's certainly... Uh, there, the, the shift has certainly changed. But I mean, I think generally speaking, a lot of WWE fans, they don't typically watch wwe as anything but an escape you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i mean i i I felt that was sort of predictable considering the nature of i mean i thought it was going to happen sooner i figured that with the royal rumble happening just two days later uh a lot of fans would have i don't want to say forgotten this but taken their foot off the pedal a little more after the rumble and i was very happy they didn't I think the the conversation will go back. Each week, there's probably going to be more and more information that sort of resets this story Mm. because it's not going anywhere. That's what I want to hear right there. I love that. Now, The Rock, let's talk about him for a second (laughs) because with the TKO deal, he was announced as a board member. Can you sort of break down what exactly The Rock is going to be doing? If anything, is he a figurehead or will he be active back there? I doubt he's going to be around. I mean, board members aren't at every show anyway, but with Vincent Mann being out, he has been the face of WWE, WWF, at least publicly since like 97, 98, because Up until then, a lot of people didn't even realize Vince was the owner. They just thought he was an announcer. But ever since then, he's been the public-facing owner. I think right now, the the goal is for The Rock to basically be WWE's mascot, figurehead, all all that. Like, to be that guy that goes out there and he can speak for WWE, 
How active that will be, I don't know. I, I certainly don't expect him to be as active as that front face, as a Dana White, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But to have him be basically the logo, I think that is something that is important. And I mean, a part of that deal was reached to where Dwayne Johnson got the rock you know, ownership of the rock name. That was a WWE IP prior. And it was relicensed to WWE as sort of a, a goodwill gesture to bring him on. Uh, I, but yeah, I think he's going to probably be the effectively the, the mascot figurehead of WWE. And I don't mean that in a diminishing or disrespectful way. It's just everybody looks at him and they know who he is type of thing. And I think WWE wants people to identify with that the same way that they send title belts to teams that win championships. So their logo is out there. So so they are more prominent and accepted from a mainstream perspective. So he's basically our Queen of England here. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, regarding The Rock, though, I noticed that the fan base for The Rock seems to have shifted a little, though. Um, and this this is going to take us into a different type of coverage here. Now we're going to leave the, the muck and the mire of Vince McMahon behind him. We're going to talk wrestling proper now. So the rocks fan base seems to have diminished. They seem a little, um, acrimonious right now, especially with this Cody rock Roman triangle. Um, let's talk about that for a second. Sure. People are not happy. So could you give us a little history, break it down, blah, blah, blah. Of course. So Cody Rhodes, the son of Dusty Rhodes, uh, was a effectively a mid-card wrestler in WWE for about eight, nine years. He left. He had never known a wrestling world outside of WWE. He became a massive success. He helped launch All Elite Wrestling, which was a top competitor for WWE, the, the biggest competition they've had in two decades. And then he returned to WWE, and that in itself was a huge story. He sustained a very gruesome pec injury, wrestled through it, gained the respect of a a ton of people, returned last year, won the Royal Rumble, and looked poised to beat Roman Reigns for the world title. Now, Roman Reigns has held that title since August of 2020. And since then, his schedule has significantly decreased to the point to where he's defended that title two or three times a year. For MMA fans, that is normal and even overactive, but in pro wrestling, you're used to seeing that at least 10 to 12 times a year. Uh, Cody did not win that match last year. And a lot of people were like, okay, that's interesting. Why would they do that? Because the story that you often hear finish the story is that Cody Rhodes' father won that championship in Madison Square Garden decades before, before the decision was reversed and it was taken out of his hands. So that's something that Cody wants to accomplish uh, both in storyline and in real life. Cody Rhodes won the Royal Rumble to get a title shot at a world title again this year. And then a few days later, he brings out The Rock and he says, well, I'm not going to challenge for that title at WrestleMania because I've got The Rock here. The Rock is uh, a member of Roman Reigns' family, which includes Rikishi, Samu, Fatu, The Usos, uh, Yokozuna, Rocky Johnson, Peter Maivia. It's the the most historic in-ring family maybe ever in wrestling. And the provider, the top of that family has become a title of its own, so to speak. And that's effectively what The Rock and Roman Reigns are competing over. But the fan base 
is pretty you know peeved. I ran a poll that got over a hundred thousand votes. Eighty-two uh, percent wanted Cody versus Roman Reigns compared to wow. the The Rock versus Roman Reigns, with The Rock being one of the biggest celebrities on the planet. So, yeah, and this isn't even the first time this has happened, Stephanie. Like, uh, 10 years ago, CM Punk, who uh, I'm sure that UFC fans know and love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, while, while we're here with CM Punk, I want you to give us a little a little lowdown <clears throat> on CM Punk, too, after you're done. Sure. But 10 years ago, CM Punk was the hottest thing in pro wrestling. Mm. And he was poised to meet him at WrestleMania. But The Rock showed up after not wrestling for about five or six years. Now, the difference is The Rock hasn't wrestled a real match in over 10 years. He wrestled like a quick six-second match like seven years ago, something like that. But it is an element of people saying, listen, we like you just fine, Rock. Like Nobody dislikes him to, to any extreme degree that I know of. But it brings an element of the show to a screeching halt. And it also makes wrestling fans go, well, surely after this Roman Reigns fella hasn't been beaten in four years, they're not going to have 51, 52-year-old Rock do it. And if they do, that sort of undermines the entire roster. And uh, the reality is the people that are affected the most by this from an on-screen perspective are those that are actually around all the time. The Cody Rhodes, the Seth Rollins, the Becky Lynch's, the Rhea Ripley's, they are affected the most by The Rock, who hasn't wrestled in years, facing his cousin, who has been a wonderful champion, great character, isn't around a lot anymore. Uh, it is uh, it, it is a lot. I don't think WWE expected the reaction to be this one-sided. Why is Roman Reigns so inactive? Why isn't he defending the best way I can put it is because he is so good that he can be. He is so good that at the start of this deal, keep in mind, this guy overcame leukemia, came back, got more over than he's ever been before, uh, got more over ever than before without crowds because it was the COVID era. And he became such an indispensable part of that show that uh, he was able to negotiate a deal in which required him to be around less. And it's a deal that anybody would take. Anybody would take that deal. And uh, definitely no frustrations around him getting that deal. But there are a lot of frustrations among viewers about the fact that the top prize is rarely featured on the show that they watch and emotionally invest and financially invest in every week. But can't hate on Roman Reigns for it. He got the deal that everybody would take if they could get it. When Roman Reigns got leukemia, I, I follow wrestling loosely. I used to be a super fan in the 90s. I mean, the Attitude Era was where it was at. But I follow pretty, you know, I, I regularly watch, but I don't follow like I used to. But I did notice one thing, and that was before Roman Reigns went away to handle his leukemia. He had a different persona than the tribal chief that he has become. When did that transition happen? Uh, in the summer, late summer of 2020, he, uh, so he had leukemia or, I mean, he's, he's always going to live with leukemia, but he was in remission. He made his return. He was the same character he had been. But then at the start of the COVID pandemic, he took time off and understandably so 
because if, if you're working in that environment, well, you are much more at risk than, than those that don't deal with the type of things that Roman dealt with. He came back. He quickly won a WWE championship that he uh, didn't really lose and or that, that he was poised to win, rather. And then the character change happened almost immediately. I want to say August, September of 2020. And it was just such an immediate and categorical shift that it was something fans had wanted for years, uh, like five years. They had, they had begged for this and finally they were getting it. All right. So now we're going to talk about the ladies because sure. we saw Rhonda's exit and they set that up beautifully in having Shayna defeat her because, you know, her and Shayna are besties in real life. Tell me about Shayna's trajectory and if you think Rhonda's ever going to come back. I think it's always possible that, that Ronda Rousey comes back to WWE. Uh, she she worked a one-off for Ring of Honor under the AEW umbrella a couple months ago. But I think ultimately she's just going to do what she wants and, and she's going to try to have fun. I don't think that her value from a marquee level is the same as it was like when she came in, obviously, especially when she was an active UFC performer or fresh off of a UFC run. So I, I don't necessarily see her being put in major positions unless something happens with her and, and she sort of regains that name value. But I think the door is always open there. And I don't think that, honestly, anything that she said in, relate, in relation to Bruce Pritchard closes that door. All right. Um, <clears throat> Rhea Ripley seems different. She yeah. seems like she could possibly transcend from WWE into mainstream pop culture. What do you think? Yeah. If that's something she's interested in, I think that she's going to get those opportunities. Uh, I, I can, we, we often talk in wrestling about what they call the airport appeal and like, do they make people's heads turn into an airport? And she's the type of person that if you see her in an airport, you might not know what she does, but you know, she does something important. And also if you saw her in an airport, it wouldn't be that tough to determine what she does. Uh, because she's she's like she's such a standout in so many ways. And she has emerged both in the ring and as a manager as one of WWE's most indispensable performers to the point to where three, four months ago before CM Punk rolled in, it looked like she and Becky Lynch were pretty well going to main event one of the nights of WrestleMania because she has been one of the most important figures on WWE TV really the last year and a half. Uh, well-liked backstage, uh, loved among the fans, can wrestle in the ring, can deliver from a, a character standpoint. She checks every single box WWE could possibly want in a star. And this is something I honestly see more of under TKO because Endeavor is at heart a talent agency. Mm -hmm. And they understand the value of talent becoming a big deal. They understand the value of a Conor McGregor becoming a big deal. They understand the value of, of utilizing these big names as opposed to WWE and Vince McMahon, where over the last like six, seven years, they wanted WWE to be the attraction. They wanted WWE to be what brought fans in. And it just wasn't working to that capacity. They need Rhea Ripley. They need Roman Reigns. They need Cody Rhodes and CM Punk and people like that. And that's probably why they're they're filling up buildings now. When are we going to get AJ Lee back? Oh my gosh, I hope sometime. I, I thought that if they didn't do it in the Royal Rumble, it might be a long shot. But uh, she is somebody that 
so many women on that roster want to work with. And, and much like Rhea Ripley, like yes. at one point, mm-hmm. at one point, AJ Lee was like the main character of WWE Raw. The, the show revolved around mm-hmm. her at one point. Only 36 years old. I think she'll be 37 this year. She's in incredible shape. She looks great. I know CM Punk has alluded to the fact that she had a a pretty rough injury towards the end of her her run, but I mean, even if she appeared in an on-screen role, I think that it would be incredible for WWE. And I think that she could honestly help out a lot of the roster, especially some of the the, the newer talent in navigating those waters. I think that she would be a welcome presence there. She was phenomenal. And she had that kind of star power too and was a great wrestler. So I'm I'm hoping, uh, my fingers are always crossed that she comes back, but sure. I am the biggest Rhea Ripley stan in history. I love that woman. She yeah. is it. Talk about some of the other ladies, because for a long time, I thought Becky Lynch was it. I mean, the man, you couldn't top her. But along comes Rhea Ripley, and it seems like Becky Lynch is sort of faded into the background. A- am I reading this wrong? Sort of. I mean, she she's done such incredible work, and she has sort of on her own taken a step back in, uh. in that sense. Last year, instead of feuding with active talent, she feuded with Trish Stratus, who came out of retirement. Becky Lynch went to NXT, had an NXT title run, which is WWE's developmental territory, effectively. Uh, she then, since then, she has emerged back and uh, appears to be poised to face Rhea Ripley. Uh, those, those are obviously Becky is the big one. Bailey is a, a name that so many people in WWE love, and she she finally won the Royal Rumble, is getting a big opportunity there. Charlotte Flair is going to miss all of this year uh, by the looks of it. But WWE did just get back. Why? Naomi. Why? Tell oh, she, uh, man, she completely shredded her knee. Everything in her knee just okay. cooked. Just cooked. Uh, WWE has booked their, their foreign talent a lot better. EO Sky has been a great world champion. They got back Kyrie Sane. Asuka has long been a top talent, and they are together now. And uh, are really doing great things. Bianca Belair mm. is is now the star of a reality show on Peacock with her husband Montez Ford. Mm. I know that WWE is very happy with the buzz they're getting there. And uh, yeah, I mean they they got Naomi back after she had walked out of the company a couple of years ago. Uh, I what about Jade? Find it, sorry, what was that? oh Jade? Well, Jade hasn't necessarily debuted for a brand yet. Mm-hmm. They they definitely wanted to get Jade. The upside on Jade Cargill is so high that they couldn't possibly pass on her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's made a couple of backstage appearances and uh, did a Royal Rumble appearance. They they booked her in a very strong spot, but they are definitely getting her ready from an in ring perspective. Many of her matches in AEW were taped because she was not as experienced in the ring. Mm. But I think that the level of workers that they have on this women's roster is so good that before too long, they're going to be able to have her there. I'm sure they'll have her do live events and the like to, to get ready. But she's one that if she can even be decent in the ring, she's going to be a big star for WWE. Wow. 
I love that for all the women. Now let's let's look at wrestling as a whole because I want you to give me the pecking order right now because there's a lot of shakeups going on. I'm going to have sure. you talk about stardom in a few minutes, but right now, give us the pecking order of all the organizations and why they are in the position they're in and why they matter or they don't really matter. So from from where we stand here in the United States, WWE is one. They've been one for a long time. All Elite Wrestling is number two. That's owned by Tony Khan, who whose family owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, they are leaning much more into what brought them to the dance. Uh, they were largely formed in 2019 because of a dissatisfaction with WWE programming. Well, now WWE programming doesn't really suck anymore. So that you know they've got to go back to what brought them to the dance. Number three, even from even from an American standpoint, New Japan Pro Wrestling still has a, a decent foothold. They've lost some important pieces, though. Uh, Impact Wrestling has now re re rebranded <laughs> as TNA. They started off as NWA TNA Wrestling. They became TNA Wrestling, then Global Force, then uh, to Impact. Now they've uh, went back to their TNA name. And they're they're trying to really find their place, but they've got an incredible amount of talent as well. You've also got MLW, Major League Wrestling, which is run by uh, Court Bauer, former WWE creative guy. They actually just had a bit of a, a legal victory, a settlement with WWE over uh, WWE costing them a TV deal with a, a Fox affiliate in Tubi. So I don't know how that will necessarily play out, but the reality is when people pop up in MLW, they also pop up on the radars of all these other companies. So uh, anybody saying that they are insignificant or inconsequential wouldn't be sincere. Those are probably the top five in the U.S. And then you've also got great independent companies like Pro Wrestling Revolver and GCW and the like. What about uh, Ring then, of Honor? Sorry, what was that? Ring of Honor? Well, Ring of Honor is under the AEW umbrella. AEW gotcha. owns okay. Ring of Honor and it's... Almost nobody sees that as a separate entity, sort of like NXT with WWE. Right. Uh, otherwise, NXT would probably be the third biggest brand in America. But uh, that's largely seen as uh, a collective of AEW. And that's going to bring me to stardom. Tell our listeners what stardom is and why it's a big deal right now. So uh, stardom is an all-women's wrestling promotion. It's been around for uh, about 14, 15 years. It is now owned by Bushi Road, which owns New Japan Pro Wrestling. In Japan, things are a lot different. Like there, there isn't a, a big integration of women's wrestling or really any in New Japan, and they wrestle on their own uh, in in Stardom and several other companies. Now that that whole thing is a conversation for another day. But one of the founders of Stardom is leaving his contract was terminated he was leaving anyway from what i understand but the allegations from stardom is that he was effectively trying to poach talent whether it be to send them to uh get get them deals with wwe or get them deals with a new startup company or elsewhere uh they they got rid of him uh overnight actually and yeah it's it's caused quite the shakeup within stardom wow all right, just two more questions, and then I'll let you be on your way. I have to know if you've seen Iron Claw and your take on it. I did. Uh, man, it is as heartbreaking as mm. I had anticipated. It actually won our Fightful Award for 
best film documentary. Mm-hmm. And there were some things like I wish they would have had Chris Von Eric involved, but mm-hmm. they had Chris Von Eric involved. That would have been a four hour movie. <laughs> so it's that, and that's, that's the, the gutting thing when I'll have people who don't watch wrestling and they'll hit me up and they'll go, well, I just watched the iron claw. That was brutal. Mm-hmm. They're like, was that accurate? And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, largely. Yep. I was like, but they left out a very, very important part. And they're like, Oh, what's that? And I'm like, Oh, a whole other family member that had the same thing happen to them. <laughs> yeah. They're like, they're like, are you serious? Yes. It was even, it's even worse than the movie makes it out to be. Yeah. And the movie makes it out to be one of the most gutting, horrific stories that you'll ever see. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, my last question, tell us about Pawcade. Oh man. So, um, I, uh, how do I explain this? In addition to covering wrestling, I I wrestle here and there. Uh, I did catch wrestling, MMA, kickboxing back in the day. And when Fightful started in 2016, I, I stopped wrestling. I didn't have the time to train actively but over the last few years, since since Fightful's rose in prominence, I've gotten a few offers. I wrestled a match in December at Black Label Pro uh, against Shaza McKenzie to benefit, to benefit NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I, I wanted to be sure that any time I wrestle, one, I don't get paid. I don't want money from these companies. They're not going to get special coverage or any treatment from me for giving me money. And I want to benefit something. Uh, last time it was NAMI. This time it is the Humane Society of Washington. It's going to be in Jeffersonville, Indiana for Paul K. They, they do a lot of great benefits for animals in need. Uh, my wife and I have long helped vet and, and home animals. I think, gosh, up to 75 of them over the last 12 years, we've been able to take in, uh, get cleaned up, get vetted, find homes for and it's something that, that is very important to me. And I was honored that they asked me to be a part of this battle royal at the uh, end of April. They have donation links at, uh, I believe it's uh, Chad A. French, I believe it is. I'll have to, I'll have to look. Yeah, it's Chad A. French on Twitter uh, often tweets those out. And uh, I'm very excited to do it. April 21st in Jeffersonville, Indiana. That's very near and dear to my heart. I'm a big, big bleeding heart for animals. So humane societies always get my money and I have already donated. Thank you so much. (laughs) So my guest has been Sean Ross Sapp. Sean, what I want you to do right now is tell everyone where to find you, what you've got coming up, when your next show is, um, anything you have right now. The floor is yours, sir. Yeah, Fightful.com. We actually started as a crossover combat sports and wrestling website. We've leaned much more into pro wrestling. Uh, Quite frankly, we've broken more pro wrestling news than any outlet over the last five or six years. We've done it with the higher accuracy than anybody's ever done it. Uh, We do that at FightfulSelect.com. That's our Patreon platform. I'm very proud of what we've done there. We are the most subscribed wrestling property in Patreon history times three like that's how how uh, wonderful our community has been we are also on youtube.com slash fightful that's f-i-g-h-t-f-u-l we do live post shows almost every night multiple shows a week we interview the top talent in pro wrestling uh we we have just such we have not only the most paywalled content in wrestling we have the most free content as well which is something that i'm, I'm very proud of fantastic and on twitter you are at Sean Ross Sapp. There we have it. Folks, 
Sean Rossap. Stick around. We'll be right back to Sumo Stomp with Tim Bissell. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the 6th Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.